Hello and welcome to Worship from Swiser Church. I'm Pastor Jason. So glad to have you with us wherever you're at today, worshiping together. If this is your first time with Schweitzer, we want to encourage you to let us know that you're here. We'd love to send you a gift card to celebrate what's happening at Christmas time. Today, we're jumping into week two of our Advent series, um, where we're going to be looking at John the Baptist and the ministry that he has in preparing the way for Jesus. If you'd like to go deeper with this sermon, you can go to schweitzer.church next. There are sermon questions where you can discuss this, this sermon with other folks, this experience with other folks in your world, maybe your group, your class, whatever. There's also, there are a number of other ways where you can connect with Schweitzer and grow deeper in your faith. Uh, we encourage you to go to schweitzer.church next. Next up is Jen, and she's going to share with us some ways where we can be active in Schweitzer this week. Let's take a listen. Welcome to Schweitzer. We're so glad you're here today. My name's Jen Brown, and we are really getting in the holiday spirit here. In fact, I'm still wearing my Christmas sweater from our second season Christmas party this week. We had a great time celebrating together, and we have a lot more opportunities coming up. Um, this week especially, we are collecting toys for our Pittman Elementary Toy Drive. And if you have already brought a gift, thank you so much. If you still have it at home and you want to bring it back, please drop it off in the office this week or make sure you bring it next Sunday. Also for the night of the toy store, we are needing just a few more volunteers to hang out with the kids. So if you are Safe Sanctuary certified and want to hang out with the kids while their parents do some shopping, we'd love to have you on that volunteer team. You can learn more and sign up at Schweitzer.Church next. Coming up in two weeks, we're so excited. The Schweitzer Choir is going to be leading us in a special morning of worship at both the 9 and 1030 service. This will be our Christmas cantata called Love Descending, and it'll be a great time of music, musicians, singing, and you won't want to miss it. Make sure you invite a friend for this special morning together. This year, our Christmas Eve services will be held at 3, 5, and 7 p.m. This will be a great night together as we have familiar Christmas music and especially that great candlelight moment that we all love. Make sure you're inviting your friends, neighbors, family to join us for the Christmas Eve at Schweitzer. Then, on Christmas Day, we'll be online only at Schweitzer.live. This will be a special Christmas message that you can enjoy from wherever you are with friends, family, or as you're traveling. We hope you'll enjoy that experience with us. As you can see, there's a lot happening here for Christmas, and you can pick up a copy of our Christmas edition of our Schweitzer Spark that includes articles about all the things we've talked about today, plus some more ways you can get involved all throughout December. Thanks again for joining us. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Dan, for all those ways we can connect and be involved in the ministry and the life of Schweitzer. If you forget what those are, you can always go to schweitzer.church next and read up on those things. If you're worshiping live with us today, we encourage you to say hello, wave to the people in the chat room. If you'd like prayer, there's somebody in the prayer room that would be happy to pray with you. Now we're going to enter into the songs of Advent and Christmas. Let us enter in with great anticipation, great rejoicing for what God has done and what God longs to do in our lives, in our communities. Let's worship together the King today.
us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us today as the Prince of Peace. You calm the wind and the waves. We need your peace in our lives, our homes, our families, our church, and our whole world. Help us to slow down and seek out the peace that only comes from you. As we receive your peace, make us peacemakers for others. Amen. Friends, as we come to a time of prayer, I want to share a prayer with you and invite you to pray along with me. Uh, and this prayer is centered around um, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that, that plaintive cry that has been lifted up over the ages that we see reflected in, in those who come to prepare the way for Jesus. There's this expectation. So um, I invite you to pray along with me. You'll see words on the screen for you to say and to pray where you're at. Let's pray together. O come, O come, Emmanuel, Christ our King, how we long for your return. O come, O come, Emmanuel, Christ our Shepherd, how we pine for your voice. O come, O come, Emmanuel, Christ our older brother, how we miss you. Make haste, O Lord, and return to us. prayer continues. You came to us, O Lord, as a lantern in our darkness. Now illuminate our way. You came to us as a song in the midst of our sorrow. Now kindle our hope. You came to us as a balm on the bed of our sufferings. Now be our healing. You came to us as a shelter amidst the violence of storms. Now grant us peace. You came to us as mercy in the place of our shame. Now be our righteousness. You came to us as a king upon the fields of our defeat. Now be our salvation. You came to us as a child in the midnight of our despair. Now be our God. Remembering these manifold joys and blessings of your first advent, how our hearts long to witness the glories of your promised return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen.
And now would you join me in the prayer Jesus taught us when we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Throughout the season of Advent, we're hearing about Flourish Community Development Corporation. Flourish is an organization that Schweitzer gave birth to. It's our, it's our daughter ministry that seeks to take the transforming power of Jesus and translate it into the streets all over the city of Springfield. And today we're going to hear about the particular ministry that Flourish operates, the food pantry, that happens on Schweitzer's campus, but with the heart, the mind, and the future impact hopefulness of, of all that Flourish brings to the table. So let's hear from two servants, two fantastic servants in the food pantry ministry today. There was a call that went out uh, during the pandemic that the food pantry needed help. And I said to Karen, I says, you know, we're not doing anything. and We don't know a lot of people yet. Why don't we try to do that? So we came on a Tuesday and, and volunteered and we haven't missed since. You know, it's a place, why would you not come back when you work with this group of people that's so fun? Uh, you think that um, the people are getting the blessing. That's not true, we are. It's, it's us that's getting the blessing from interacting with our, our uh, guests that come here or interacting with all the lovely, wonderful people that we work with. There was one lady, we started praying the last few months with the people. And when I started praying with her, she said, I've known about Schweitzer for a long time. When I was at Harmony House a few years back, I kept wondering how they had food to feed all of us there. And she said, I realized that that truck was coming in and out of here. So when I got a place to live on my own, I was wondering where I could get help to move all my belongings. She said the name Schweitzer came back to me. So I called the church. A man named Ed Hewitt was more than happy to help me get all my things moved. She said, I got on my own for a little while. But now, a few years later, I'm back in a predicament. That's why I've come to the food bank again. You were so helpful for the first time. We have prayed for more people in the front, and you'll be amazed how many people come to tears when you ask God for their need and you see the tears running down their face. You know, when you ask me, why is a food pantry necessary? In my own personal life, I don't really know. I can't answer that question. I've never been in a situation of uh, lack of food for my family, but I've seen it here in Springfield. And it troubles me a great deal that someone is without the necessities of food uh, to take care of themselves. Um, 
It gets back to your Christian principles that you need to help your brother out in a time of need. There are folks that need it. It's usually grandparents that are supporting their grandchildren that are living with them and they don't have enough food to take care of them. Uh, it draws at your heartstrings to hear this situation. But there are needs, whether you realize it or not, uh, we're taking care of that need. I remember a lady that probably came maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago where we were just handing bags out the door to them. And she had a car that had a taped up window and there were no hubcaps, the tires all looked like they were temporary. And she said, yes, she was living in her car. And I was amazed when she came back maybe a year later and she rode with someone else. She was now had a home and she was still remembered that, you know, she still had a home to get over. So she doesn't come all the time, but she came again and we just hugged each other. You know, when you recognize people like that, and you know they're striving, they're trying. It's a real joy just to see that you're making some progress. People like that are searching and it's really neat if we happen to connect and lay a few seeds along the way. That's why we're here to serve, to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the Brightups, and our lives have been transformed by the ministries of Flourish. Isn't it so good to hear how Flourish is seeing the transformation of Jesus brought to bear in people's lives all over Springfield? It's fantastic. You know what? This ministry and all the ministries, all kinds of ministries through Schweitzer, are seeing the transforming power of Jesus brought to bear in people's lives. And that is made possible because you are faithful and you are generous in giving your tithes, your offerings, your talent, your treasure, your heart, your passion, your energy. Because it takes all that stuff, right? takes all that, we offer it up to God. God does some fantastic stuff with it. So thank you for your generosity. You can give today by going to Schweitzer.church/give or by using the church app. However you want to give is uh, fantastic because God does some incredible things through our gifts. Next up is Pastor Spencer, and he is going to share with us about John the Baptist preparing the way for the coming of the King. Let's lean in and rejoice. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today is part two of our series called Prepare the Way, which is part of the prophecy that Isaiah gives of John the Baptist who comes before Jesus to prepare the way. John the Baptist's uh, message and, and mission in life is to get people ready for Jesus. 
And so John the Baptist is the traditional reading for Advent because Advent is all about preparing ourselves for Jesus, but not just Jesus as a baby, because Advent doesn't just remember the the coming of Jesus as as a child, but also the return of Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we prepare ourselves for his return. Now, of course, December is full of all kinds of preparation for Christmas. I mean, we know this, there's gifts, there's decorations, there's trees, there's food, there's, there's music, there's all kinds of things that we have to do to get ready for, for Christmas. But what John the Baptist calls us to is that in the midst of this busy season, let's make sure that we're ready for the return of Jesus ourselves. Not just with these outward things, but inside, with our lives, with our characters, with our relationships, the way that we're living, let's make sure that we're prepared for the coming of Jesus. Now, I just wanna give you a warning. While John the Baptist is the traditional reading for Advent, it's also really harsh. It's, it's blunt and direct. Like you don't want to go to John the Baptist church. He's going to make you feel uncomfortable every week. But, but it's a message we need to hear. However blunt and difficult it might be to hear, it's something that we need to hear to get ready for the return of Jesus. So here's um, Luke chapter three, the traditional reading for Advent. We're going to start with what we read last week and then we're going to add a little bit to it this week and the next week we'll add a little bit more to it to finish out Luke chapter three. But here's how it goes. Um, in the 15th year, In the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, it's a a mouthful there, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now we start here because what Luke is doing is he's grounding this this story in, in history because this really happened. You know, there's real people, real places, these real real things that, that took place here. It's not a myth. It's not just a good story. It's grounded in, in history. And so we keep reading here. It says, He, that is John, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. This name of our series, prepare the way. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, uh, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. How incredible is that? Now that's what we read last week. We're gonna add to it in just a second, but let's just pause and just remember just this incredible prophecy that we just read. I love that prophecy. It's absolutely beautiful. All the links that God will go to to save us. He'll level mountains and fill in valleys and uh, make crooked roads straight in order to create a highway that we can be with God. And, and that, that last line, oh my goodness, is so good that all people will see God's salvation. This is for everyone, that everyone's invited to come and experience the goodness of God found in Jesus Christ. So knowing this, and this is John's message now, is to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. Let's see how he does this and what it looks like practically on the ground for him to live into this prophecy. Verse seven, John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I told you, you're not gonna wanna go to his church. This is the message. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Verse eight, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's a line to underline in your Bibles. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of the stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Abraham, of course, is the, the one who who's, brings out the covenant of God for the people of Israel, the chosen people. John says, the ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit 
will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Merry Christmas. <laughs> this is a harsh message. That's what I told you. I, I try to give you a warning. This is a harsh message about change and about how uh, we need to get our lives right in order to prepare for the coming of Jesus. Now, this is the traditional reading of Advent, and it should be because Advent should be calling to us, reminding us to, that we need to change. It's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough just to say, I believe in Jesus, if our lives don't actually reflect this, if we don't love our neighbor, if we don't love God, if we don't have different ambitions in life than our neighbors do who don't believe. Like, this is calling us to, to change uh, deeply on the inside that, that we might begin to live for Christ now, even as we wait for his return. And so what does this look like? Well, verse 10, that's exactly the question. People ask, what do we do with this then? What should we do then? The crowds asked. And John answers with three practical examples of what it looks like to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Here they are. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now we're going to stop there and we're going to pick this up in the same spot next week. But let's think about these three examples that John just gave us of the changed life and the producing fruit in keeping with repentance. And I find these examples to be fascinating, especially when you think about what they say and what they don't say. So let's go back through these three examples and let's pay attention to that. What does the exactly specifically say? And then what is not said that you might have thought should have been said? So the first example, John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So if you have extra, you should share this with those around you. And this is, of course, also not a word just for the rich. I mean, if you have two shirts, it doesn't sound like somebody who's just drowning in money. I mean, this is for, for everybody. I mean, if you have two shirts, I mean, I have two shirts. I'm wearing two shirts right now. If you have two shirts, you know, you're called to share this extra with others. If you have extra food, I mean, you ever throw food away? I know I do. Well, then you have extra to share with others. And so John says, you, sh you should be sharing this. And I, I just think it's so interesting now, as you think about how he says this, to also think about what he doesn't say. The changed life, what does it not look like? Well, John doesn't say here, he doesn't say, go solve the problem of poverty. Go feed all the children. Go make sure everyone in Judea has enough. That's not what he says. No, he just says, and you use your life and the extra that you have to share with others. Second example, he's speaking to the tax collectors. And to the tax collectors, John says this, don't collect any more than you are required to. That's it, very simple. Don't overcharge people. Now, the tax system in, in first century Palestine was incredibly um, oppressive and full of all kinds of injustice. Uh, the Roman Empire conquers and, and, and controls uh, ancient Palestine and and the Roman tax system is just awful. I mean, it's taking advantage of all kinds of, of people and wherever it is that they went to conquer people. I mean, the taxes are how the Romans funded the military and how they funded um, all the great building projects that they have. I mean, think about all the great building projects that the Romans built that people 2,000 years later still go and pay lots of money to see. Well, that's, that was all funded because the Romans would go conquer these lands and they would overtax the people and rob their wealth from them and send it back to Rome to build these great these great buildings. 
And the way the Roman tax system worked, it was just terrible. Um, they would hire local people and the local people could um, charge really whatever it is that they wanted to charge. As long as they met a minimum quota, they could overcharge however much they wanted to. No one was going to say anything to them. The Romans don't care. All they want is to make sure that they get their share of it. So if you don't want to pay because you think it's unjust, you think it's oppressive, which it was, the tax man, he comes for you and you don't want to pay. He's just going to go get a Roman soldier. And if you don't pay, there are crosses that wait for you. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible situation. And so what does John say? Well, don't take advantage of people. Don't require more than you have to. And, and notice then what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, stop being a tax collector. He doesn't say, how could you ever work for such an oppressive system? That's not what he says. He just simply says, don't, don't take advantage of people. Don't charge more than you have to. Third example, to soldiers. And this is not to like Roman soldiers. This would have been to Jewish people who were mercenaries working for the Romans, or maybe they're working for the Herods who worked for the Romans. But either way, they're working for the Romans. And John says this to the, to the soldiers, verse 13. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So don't use your power to take advantage of other people. What does he not say? He doesn't say, stop being, a Roman, stop being a soldier. He doesn't say to turn in your spear and your shield. He doesn't say you need to overturn this unjust system and, and start a revolution that gives your people freedom. That's not what he says. He just simply says, don't use your power to take advantage of other people. And when I think about these examples that John gives, I just, I think they're fascinating. They're fascinating to me because in no way, shape or form is John presenting this message of like, world-changing kinds of ideas. These are not revolutionary kinds of things that he's offering here. They're very simple, pretty obvious, practical ways that people should live into the kingdom of God with the opportunities that are right in front of them. And I find that so fascinating because, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life and I can't tell you how many sermons, songs, podcast, books that I've read that, that have had this message of like, be a world changer. Uh, there's a song from like 20 years ago, I remember, history maker, like be a history maker, be someone who changes the world and, and, and somebody who, who, who creates all of this change and like you're, you're called and gifted to go do this and just absolutely change the world like Acts, uh, the story of Acts does in the, in the Bible. This is who you should be. And I'm, and I'm kind of thinking to myself as we listen to John the Baptist talk, maybe we should pump the brakes on some of that conversation because maybe our calling is not to go change the world, but maybe what God is expecting from us is simply this, that in the opportunities that are right in front of us, with how we actually live our lives, do good, work for God's kingdom, live in the way of Jesus with the, with the things that you find yourself doing every single day. Like, like this is maybe how we start to imp implement this. And this is really what God is calling us to. It's not this world-changing, revolutionary kind of thing, but rather in the simple, practical, obvious ways that are right in front of you, live in the way of Jesus, live in the way of the kingdom of God. This reminds me of the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10. This is probably the most famous story that Jesus tells. So you don't need to be a Christian to know this story. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story. It goes like this. There was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he's going down the road, he um, was met by some robbers who took all that he had and beat him up and left him for dead on the side of the road. And as he lay on the side of the road, clinging to life, a priest happens to come upon him. And when the priest sees him, he crosses to the other side of the road and keeps going. 
Likewise, a little while later, a Levite, who is also a religious leader, comes by this man, and when he sees him, he does the same thing. He goes to the other side of the road, and he goes on his way. Now, both these religious leaders, the priest and Levite, do this because they see this man, and they think he's either A, dead, or B, about to be dead. And so they know that the Jewish law forbids them from touching a dead body, and so therefore, they go on their way without having any sort of compassion on the man. Jesus keeps going in the story, and then he says, but a Samaritan who is also an enemy, comes upon the man. And when he sees the man, Jesus says he has pity on him. So he goes over to the man. He bandages his wounds. He picks him up. He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him into town where he goes to the inn. He pays the innkeeper to take care of him as he goes on his way. I mean, it's a profoundly uh, important story about doing good with the opportunities that are right in front of us, an inspiring story that has inspired so many people to do good in the world around us. It's a famous story as well. And what's so interesting to me, though, with this story of the Good Samaritan is when you think about what Jesus doesn't say here. I mean, yes, it's an incredibly inspiring story that this enemy goes to take care of his neighbor when the religious leaders wouldn't. But think about what the Good Samaritan actually does. He has pity on this man that he happens to come across that day, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, and pays for the innkeeper. The Good Samaritan himself doesn't stay and tend and nurse this man back to life. That's not what he does. Likewise, this Good Samaritan doesn't go on some campaign to, to eradicate all of the violence that's on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's not what he does either. Instead, what he does is he has this opportunity that's right in front of him, and he responds to it. He responds to it with love and compassion and generosity. He responds to him in the way of the kingdom of God. I mean, I doubt very much that the Good Samaritan woke up that morning thinking to himself, hey, I'm going to go find people who've been beat up, left for dead, left on the side of the road, and I'm going to do that today. No, probably what happened was he was going about his day with the opportunity that was presented to him right in front of him. He simply responded in faithfulness. That sounds remarkably similar to what John teaches. That with the opportunities that are right in front of you, are you going to respond in faithfulness? This last year, somebody pointed out to me this principle from the Old Testament that I had really put very, very little thought to in my life before um, this person presented it to me. But afterwards, after I I saw this, I I can't shake this idea from my head. I've been thinking about it for months because it's just so profoundly important, especially when it comes to um, responding in faithfulness to these opportunities that are right in front of us to to live in the kingdom of God. And the the principle comes from the Old Testament teaching of how... um, uh, fields were harvested in the Old Testament. It's, an, it's the principle that we call margins. So in the Old Testament, there was this teaching that when uh, the Israelites would harvest their fields, they weren't supposed to go through it a second time. They weren't supposed to get a second glean out of it, nor were they supposed to, to harvest all the way to the edges, but they were supposed to leave some room around the edges so that the poor could come afterwards and they could glean for the second time or they could go around the edges and, and therefore there would be enough uh, both for the, the person who owns the field and for um, the poor to come through to provide for all of them. And so you have this, this, uh, this teaching here of, of, of creating some space within your field, some margin within your field in order to take care of other people. Now, this principle may sound like it's, you know, old fashioned, but really it's still very, very important to think about. I mean, I, I don't harvest anything. I don't even have a garden, but think about our lives as a field. I mean, when we live our life with certain amount of margin around the edges, we leave space in our lives in order to take care of other people. But sometimes, or a lot of times, honestly, we live our lives uh, full and maxed out to the full. 
And this happens in different, different kind of ways. I mean, sometimes you can live your life maxed out financially, where every dollar coming in is being spent. And when that happens, you have no margin to give to anyone or anything to support the work that God is doing. You've created no margin in your life for that. Or, or maybe you have no margin emotionally. You're going through really stressful things, stressful at work, stressful at home. I don't know how, just different stresses that may come upon you. And you're so burnt out that you have nothing to offer to anyone else because you've created no margin. Or, or sometimes for me, this is the one that really gets me, is I live my life so packed full on my schedule that, that every second of the day I feel like I don't have anything to give to anyone because I'm, I'm out of time and I just don't have any, any margin. And what I've learned is that I can have all the best intentions. I, mean, I can want to help people. I can even seek out opportunities sometimes. But unless I have margin in my life, I will never have the capacity to actually respond to the person who's in front of me. Or to say that with the language of John the Baptist, I'll never have the capacity to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Let me give you an example. A couple months ago, I was at Walmart and I was with uh, Lily, my youngest daughter, and we were buying a present for my nephew. And this was one of those nights where um, I was needing to be in like three places at the same time. And so I just dropped my daughter Grace off at a, a friend's house. My, my middle daughter Eve was at a school function. We're about to go have to go pick her up. And we went to buy this, uh, this birthday present for my nephew. And I'm standing in line at the self-checkout with, with Lily. And I always think to myself, the self-checkout will be the fastest. And it's like, never is. But I, I was in there, the line was really long. And the longer I waited in line, you know, just between you and me, I find myself getting grouchier and grouchier as this line just wasn't moving. I keep looking at my watch. I'm starting to get annoyed because I know we got to get to pick up Eve at school. Uh, I, I'm counting, you know, the, the things that are in everyone's cart ahead of me, thinking to myself, I, I should be able to go before you because I just have one thing. You got like 40 things. Finally, though, we get to, this, to, the, to the station. You know, I, I go check the toy out. And as I'm checking this toy out, I feel this just prompting from the Holy Spirit. Because there's this person next to me, this woman next to me. She doesn't speak English. I think she may be from maybe Ukraine. Um, she's uh, struggling with this, this Walmart worker who's with her, who's also getting annoyed. And, um, and, and they're just not in a good situation at all. And I just feel this prompting of the Holy Spirit to pay for her groceries that day. Now, that's not something that happens very often where I go to Walmart and I feel like the Lord is telling me, hey, you need to pay for this person or that person. That's not, that's not something that happens very often. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful that I'm, I'm in a season of life where, you know, I have some margin financially where I could pay for someone's groceries every once in a while. I mean, there was certainly a, mar- a season of my life where I, I had no margin financially. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be in that situation. But you know what I, I did that day? I looked at my watch and I remembered how I got to go pick up Eve and I was already running late against the clock. And so I paid for the toy and I left. And as I was walking across the parking lot, I mean, I'm really just dragging Lily at this time because she's like, keep up, we're running late. We gotta get going. I just, I feel this huge sense of guilt come upon me because I, I had this moment of doing good and I failed to do it. And I felt again, the Holy Spirit speak to me. And I just felt like the Spirit said, go back in and pay. Go back in and pay. And you know what I did when I felt this, this prompting of the Holy Spirit to turn around in the parking lot to go pay for the groceries for this woman? Gosh, I wish I could tell you a different story. But I got in my truck and I went to pick up Eve. I was stressed out because of the time. I was stressed out because I was running late. I didn't feel like I had the margin in my day to respond to the person that was right in front of me. 
Now, I can make excuses all day long, but here was this real, simple, practical, obvious situation that I felt like the Lord wanted me to do good in a good Samaritan kind of moment. And when push comes to shove, I didn't have the margin and I failed. And you know what that word we really should say here besides fail? There's really a better word for this. I sinned. I failed to do the thing that God wanted me to do. And and that is sin. This is how this works. Traditionally, when we talk about sin, a lot of times we think about all the things that we do that is sin. And so there are some categories that sometimes people talk about with sin. Um, Traditional language, sometimes they'll call that kind of sin of commission. Like there are these things that we do, the words that we say, the hurtful actions we take towards others, you know, the willful kinds of actions that we do that that is sinful. And certainly we all have those kinds of things in our life. But there's another category of sin that we don't talk about as much. And traditionally, what we call that other category is this. We call it sins of omission. Where there's good I know that I'm supposed to do, and then I don't do it. And that is still sin. And I think this is what John the Baptist is getting at as we prepare for Jesus, is recognizing that when we talk about our lives changing, it's not just the sins of commission that we need to be paying attention to. It's also the sins of omission. The good that God has put right in front of us that for whatever reason we fail to do. Maybe it's moments like the Walmart shopping when you feel like I should do good here, or maybe it's moments where you feel like God is calling me to do something. God's calling me to you know, serve in a ministry, maybe here at the church, maybe with Flourish and this great organization. Maybe, maybe God's calling me to, to reach out to my neighbor, to invite them to church, to care for them as they're, as they're going through something in, the, in life. Maybe God's calling me to reach out to my coworker. You know, we have all these things that maybe God's calling us to do, but then for whatever reason, we, we don't do it. You know, we're, maybe we're afraid, maybe we're, we're too tight on time, maybe we don't have enough capacity to give to anyone else. And so we just, for whatever reason, we, we don't do it. But you know what that word is? That, is? that is sin. And this is what has to be adjusted in our life as we think about the way of the kingdom of God and preparing ourselves, not just for the baby Jesus, but for the return of the King of Kings, that we prepare ourselves for his return and we call him Lord, well, that means that our lives begin to reflect him, that our lives begin to change. So it's not enough that we just go to church. It's not enough that we watch online sermons. It's not enough that we say we believe in Jesus. It's really about, am I, am I practicing this in simple, practical, observable, obvious ways? Because that's how the kingdom of God really starts to show up in our lives. We have to address our sin. And so John the Baptist, he calls us to this, to, to confession, to repentance, to acknowledgement of the various ways that we fail to honor and acknowledge God in our lives. And so today what we're going to do as we close is we're going to take a few moments here to practice part of that repentance, the confession, the acknowledgement that we are truly fallen the acknowledgement that we need to change. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna share together a very old prayer. This is a prayer that's often accompanied with a communion as we get our hearts right for receiving what the Lord has. But this is a prayer that is all about the sins of commission and the sins of omission. And as we pray this prayer, there might be some specific things that if you're gonna be honest, you need to address to the Lord on either side of those sinful actions, commission or omission. Maybe there's some things in your life that you've been doing that you know don't honor God. Or maybe there's been some things in your life that you think God's been calling me, but I just, I haven't been paying attention. 
I haven't been created the margin in my life to even have the capacity to help someone in life. And well, this is a time for us to confess, to acknowledge, and to begin to change. So let's join together in this very old traditional prayer of confession. Here's how it goes. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. We're so glad you've been a part of this time together. We hope your spirit is renewed and encouraged and you've got courage to face the things that are coming at you this week because you know, you know that God is preparing the way. We are really glad you've tuned in to worship today. A big thank you to all those who helped put it together. To Jen, to Alec, to the people behind the scenes, to Spencer for that inspiring sermon and message. If you know somebody that would be encouraged by this experience, we, we'd love it if you'd share this on your social media platforms, send them smoke signals, send them a letter, whatever it takes, but share this out to your friends, your family, people you know who need to be encouraged to know that God is preparing the way for them. Join us next week, week three of Prepare the Way. We look forward to seeing you. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. See ya. Coming to restore Let
Let it be known. Let it be known.